This episode is brought to you by Get Mobile ID by Get Group North America, the smart choice for ID implementations. Put citizens in control with Get Mobile ID, fully ISO compliant 18013-5, and surpasses AMVA guidelines. Learn more at getgroupna.com. Welcome to AmbaCast, bringing news, information, and expertise to the Amba community. Here's your host, Ian Grossman. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the AmbaCast, everyone. This week, we are talking to a strategic partner of Amba's that we haven't uh, talked to yet on the AmbaCast, particularly because of a recent product they put out, and it's all about counterfeit driver's licenses. And this week, I'm talking to a couple of board members, friends of Amva from the Document Security Alliance, commonly referred to as the DSA. And I'm pleased to welcome to their first appearance on the AmbaCast, Tony Poole, the president of the Document Security Alliance, and Alex Cabanis, the director of membership and board member for the Document Security Alliance. Alliance. Gentlemen, welcome to your first appearance on the Invocast. Well, Ian, thank you very much. We're, we're absolutely delighted to be here and big, big supporters of AMVA. So to be able to participate in this is terrific. So let's talk about this organization, Document Security Alliance, something that AMVA has been involved with since uh, the, the beginning. Uh, but folks may not know what it is that I've just referenced. So let's let's start at the very beginning. Let's give the 101. What What is the Document Security Alliance? Well, it, it's a great question. Uh, and actually, AMBA has had a lot to do with the formation of DSA. Uh, it goes back to uh, immediately post 9-11. There was an AMBA International, uh, I believe it was in Canada somewhere, I'm not mm-hmm. quite sure, where uh, there was a group of people that came together specifically to discuss the issues around the counterfeit documents that were used uh, to perpetrate the 9-11 terror attacks. Mm -hmm. Um, This was a group that was precipitated by the U.S. Secret Service, uh, and the idea was that there needed to be closer communication between government and industry, specifically about the technologies used by industry that might be able to be identified by government as they were doing their investigations. Mm. Uh, So what started off as a, a small group of people Uh, 20 or 25 people, um, met a couple of times uh, at the U.S. Secret Service, uh, and they then determined that actually there was a reason for this organization to exist beyond this initial discussion, Mm -hmm. and that's when DSA was formed. So if I were to to reel forward from back then to where we are today, uh, DSA is now an organization made up of about 85 organizational members from government, industry, and academia. We have about 350 individuals that are actively engaged uh, in the organization. So to grow from what was 25 to 350 is, is terrific. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have certainly expanded the scope of what DSA does today from what those initial discussions were, uh, you know, what, what they were precipitated by back uh, 9-11. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so um, it's, it's really grown to be a a really terrific organization that's respected by uh, people all over the world. Um, we're used as a resource base uh, because of the, the expertise that exists within DSA. Uh, and as a result, we're able to provide uh, things like the white paper that, mm-hmm. that you referenced earlier yeah. uh, to, to really help governments understand some of the issues that are going on out there and how they should be considering. And is it still, is the community still 
in the secure document space solely. You talk about how the scope kind of expanded, but it's still focused around secure identity documents specifically? It's, it's secure identity, whether it's uh, physical or mobile, mm -hmm. uh, as well as secure uh, transactional documents like currency. Uh, okay. So it's, but it's really at the core, those, uh, those instruments that are what we focus on. And so for folks, the laymen that are listening, right? Obviously there's the driver's license. Yes. Obviously there's the passport. Yes. But there's there there's more. Absolutely. And you know, so tell for those that might be newer to this space, give me a few more examples and what that means in terms of the membership. Either when we talk about the the driver's license, it's clear it's you know the AMVA community and that's both in the jurisdictions that are issuing them as well as the business partners that are the production companies. Same thing with the passport, right? You've got the you know, the State Department that has their vested interests and their business partners, but it's a, it's a bigger ecosystem. Yes, it is. So um, you're, you're absolutely right in terms of passports and driver's licenses being core documents that, are, that most people in the United States know about, but there are other key documents that are used primarily, primarily by government, whether it's uh, a, a DOD CAC card or an HSPD-12 card for a government agency, uh, there could be border crossing cards um, issued by, by countries to allow people to cross border. Um, there are federal driver's licenses, for example, uh, federal tax ID cards that are used for diplomats. Mm. Uh, so there are any number of identification cards that are used, but then you also have breeder documents. Mm -hmm. uh, and those documents which are used to obtain a driver's license or a passport. Mm -hmm. So whether it's a social security card or uh, a birth certificate. Um, so that all those are the foundation of our identity and that's what DSA is really focused on in terms of how do we increase the security of the foundation of our identity. So let's talk, um, I guess let's focus on one of those I identities because I think it's really uh, the interest and the focus is around this white paper, which is not only about driver's licenses in, in general. I know that the, the DSA community has had many conversations over the years around, like you just said, increasing the security of the document, mm -hmm. which we can maybe talk more about if we have time, but let's, let's make sure we cover the white paper around the, the counterfeiting of driver's licenses, which is literally just the title of the white paper, counterfeiting of driver's licenses. Right. So give me the origin story of, of the white paper. Well, it's, it's, this is an issue which has become um, more and more prevalent over the last few years. Uh, and that is the, the number of counterfeit driver's licenses that are intercepted by Customs and Border Protection uh, or intercepted by uh, immigration mm -hmm. uh, as they are coming into the, the U.S., either on somebody's person because they're using a counterfeit license or coming in bulk shipments that will then be redirected to people who have ordered them over the Internet. So as we looked at this, we thought there must be a bigger problem here that we're not really understanding. Mm -hmm. And so we took it upon ourselves to really dig into the issue of counterfeiting and to really try to identify what is the scope of the problem. Uh, and so through the auspices of a number of our members that conducted this research, we've identified a very significant issue, uh, which has been cooperated by uh, the, the ongoing seizures uh, mm -hmm. of these counterfeit documents. What we understand is happening is that on an annual basis, there are roughly three and a half million orders placed by underage individuals for counterfeit licenses, primarily for the use of 
for drinking. Mm -hmm. But those are um, fulfilled in orders of two because the, the first one might get intercepted or, or, mm -hmm. or confiscated, so you have a backup. Mm -hmm. um, and so we started to do some mathematics on this to determine what does this really mean uh, in addition to the problems associated with underage drinking, and we can go down that mm -hmm. path as well. Mm -hmm. But what are the funds being used to buy those licenses used for, and where are they going? And we calculated that it's between $400 million and $500 million that are spent annually mm -hmm. to purchase these counterfeit licenses. Mm -hmm. And that money goes offshore to organizations that we don't know about. Uh, and given what's going on in this world, and, and we don't need to go into the details, but uh, a lot of nefarious activity is going on, which is likely funded in part by funds being used to purchase these licenses. And your research showed that the vast majority of those are coming from overseas. I know we've talked about in the past in other forums, there is as much domestic counterfeiting as there is coming from outside, but your research found actually it was, it was it's disproportional coming from outside. Well, we, what we did was we identified what was coming in from outside. Yeah. We don't know what's coming in from inside. Okay. Uh, it's very is it difficult. harder to identify? I think so. Um, so we, we were using data from um, the, the Census Bureau uh, and the Tobacco Tax and Trade Bureau uh, to really correlate this information. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's, there's a lot of unknowns, Ian. Um, when we don't, what we're looking at is uh, purchases that were made on the, on the World Wide Web, the open web. Mm -hmm. We don't know what's purchased on the dark web. You know, that's, that's a big unknown and a big concern because people who typically would purchase on the dark web are purchasing it for more nefarious purposes. Right, because the ones that go on a simple website, like you say, it's probably that 17, 18, 19-year-old that wants to be able to get into the bar. Mm -hmm. um, someone looking to do something a lot more sinister with it is probably already operating in a more sinister space. Quite likely, although we do understand that uh, in the licenses that have been intercepted, mm -hmm. uh, there are individuals that are over 21 uh, that are caught within that web. In other words, the licenses are issued to someone who's over 21. Right, so they have a different motivation, is a different purpose. Does the white paper get into, you know, the what's the motivation for getting a counterfeit license? I think on, on some level it is very surface. It's perhaps to buy alcohol. It's perhaps to... Um, you know, engage in identity fraud and be able to set up, you know, different identities open to open a bank account. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure that maybe there's, there's more that we don't think of. Absolutely. Um, one that, that I was completely unaware of is uh, returns good fraud, hmm. where goods are stolen from a store and then returned with a counterfeit license. Mm -hmm. And so the individual gets the, basically the cash return because mm. a store might have a no receipt policy. Exactly. And the only thing they ask to see is, well, show me a show me an identity ID. that I know it's you because somehow that makes you not a shoplifter. I don't know right. the connection there, but. Well, it just uh, actually emphasizes the uses of driver's licenses as a form of identity, right? Sure. So, you know, who would have, I mean, we, we all know that we use that driver's license to return a good but that could be a, a huge source of income for the, uh, the counterfeiters. Okay. You know. And of course, identity fraud, and, and identity fraud goes far beyond just the, the physical license, but uh, the, the license itself uh, is, is part of identity fraud. Um, 
what we as a nation spend on counterterrorism as a result of the use of counterfeit licenses mm -hmm. to precipitate those events is staggering. Uh, and, and I'm not suggesting that counterfeit licenses are the only reason those events happened or the only way those events were able to, to occur, right. but it was certainly a contributing factor. And I, I, that's another important point, uh, Ian, is that counterfeit licenses are a contributing factor. They're not the sole factor. There, there are any number of things that happen out there, and what we've done is we have isolated the counterfeit licenses as a, one of the problems that we should address. So let's talk about addressing it, because there's, there's the two sides of it. There's the issuance part of legitimate credentials and what that can continue to do to battle the acceptance of the counterfeiter, and then there's the person accepting the counterfeit. Um, let's start with the one that, you know, we always spend the most time on in the AMVA community, which is, you know, what can be done in the legitimate document that fights against the, the, the counterfeiting. And, you know, to the degree that the white paper or the DSA has continued to go into that space, obviously there's no shortage of opportunities for security features and the way that a driver's license is constructed. Um, but if you were to, again, my podcast listeners, some are some are the people you know who can sit here and you know you know smell uh, two different cards and know which one is which, and others are going, "What are you talking about? Security features? I never heard of this." Well, I think that was one of the uh, one of the one of the reasons that we wanted to do this white paper was we felt that um, not enough uh, emphasis or uh, money was spent on uh, the security of the of, of the of the cards, mm -hmm. and and it's important to note that the. Um, the members of DSA are um, the, um, you know, the, the government uh, forensic labs, so mm -hmm. they're the ones, or uh, border control, and there's, uh, and there's AMVA members that are, you know, actual members of DSA. Uh, there are states that uh, participate. So in, in that discussion uh, that we have, we, we, and we know as a community that um, more would uh, be preferable to be spent on uh, the securing the driver's license, but budgets are budgets. Um, DMVs may have a hard time mm -hmm. um, in uh, requesting more funds. So our our objective was well, let's let's see what we can do as 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 DSA to highlight this issue mm -hmm. uh, and uh, assist the you know the DMVs and and the uh, and the stakeholders to add security. Yeah. Uh, right. So, and then, you know, Tony would love to talk about security because clearly that's what we feel needs to be done. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and the white paper doesn't advocate any specific technology. Right. We're, we're, we're talking about this in, in broad terms. Yeah. Um, we advocate for strong design, uh, for integration of security features such that if a security feature is not there, it's very evident that something's missing versus a, a Christmas tree that just has neat looking features scattered all over it. Uh, and so it's, it's taking a very careful approach to how to develop the most secure document that is going to raise the bar against counterfeiting and we believe reduce the costs that we all collectively pay that could be attributed to counterfeit documents or the use of counterfeit documents. But in some ways, isn't it, it's a never-ending cycle that you come up with the other feature, you put it in the card, and the counterfeiters, they're on our heels 
figuring out how to how to counterfeit it. Absolutely. And if you keep it and if you keep it too secret that the counterfeiters won't find out about it, then nobody knows about it, and it's a secret feature that doesn't do anybody any good. No, I think overt features are very important, Ian, and um, we can't rest on our laurels. This is this is a continuing battle. We have to stay one step ahead of the counterfeiters, and it's, so it's not issuing a license or any document. And 20 years later, looking at it and saying, well, should we do something? Yeah. It's you issue the document and you start working on the next design the next day. Uh, and it's, it's that continuing stay ahead, keep it complicated, make it difficult uh, for the counterfeiters or as difficult as possible. Are there other industries that have figured that out in a different way that is a model that when we're talking about driver's licenses, that maybe more attention would be paid for? Because obviously a driver's license is not the only thing being counterfeited. Passports are being counterfeited. You talked about currency early on, right? There's a, you know, and we know that currency gets updated, but not regularly. It depends on the country. True, true. I was giving a very U.S.-centric view in my my commentary. That is fair. I I think a great example, Ian, is uh, U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. Uh, They issue two cards, the uh, permanent resident card or green card Mm -hmm. and the employee authorization document. Uh, And if you look at the issuance of this document and reissuance of it, what's happened is they have actually decreased the amount of time between issuance of different designs. And each time they've issued a new design, they've increased the security. So what was maybe a 10 or 15 year time period between issuance is now down to a five year time period. Uh, So that's a great example of something that's very relevant for for the audience that we're talking to today Mm -hmm. is that they, a government agency, have seen that they need to stay ahead, they need to continue to increase the security, and they need to increase or decrease the frequency no, increase the frequency, excuse me, of the, of the redesigning. So now let's talk about the other side, because this is where it, one of the quotes in the paper that stood out to me, um, someone pointed out to me, and I think it's a, it's, a, it's a great one. It says, the demand for counterfeit driver's licenses, mostly purchased via the Internet, thrives due to the active latent acceptance of counterfeit licenses for proof of age. Now, even if you took out for proof of age, right, we'll get take the, the reason or the use case out of the equation. Um, but the idea, the, the active acceptance or the, the unaware, when awareness, I guess, would be the word, the fact that people that are relying on these documents are either knowingly or unknowingly just accepting these counterfeit licenses, that that's what prevails the motivation in the marketplace. That's certainly a major, a major topic. Um, and one, I mean, we're sitting here in Arlington County. Uh, Arlington County Police has a great program uh, where they work with the, uh, the restaurants and bars here in the county to educate them on what to look for uh, in the licenses they accept for proof of age. Uh, and just the other day in our local uh, newspaper, uh, there were several restaurants that were awarded, uh, you know, given a, a gold star, if you will, uh, for the work that they had done to increase the, uh, the number of counterfeits that they had intercepted. So it comes down to education, Ian, uh, and making sure that those organizations that rely on identity know what to look for, mm-hmm. uh, whether they're looking at it with their own two eyes or whether they have some sort of a, uh, a reader that they use, mm-hmm. to authenticator, 
um, it's, it's education and making sure they understand why they need to do this and what they need to look for. And so who's doing that? You mentioned your example in Arlington. The Arlington police is actively engaged, but mm-hmm. um, I guess it's safe to say there is no universal central authority no. that has taken on the role of we're going to educate you on what to look for. Yeah, and that's the problem. The problem, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, there you go. Someone that's just do that. We'll solve it all. Exactly. Right, exactly. So th- that's the problem. The problem is that, you know, who's going to educate the uh, the yeah. public? Um, is it the role of the DMVs to educate the public? What is the What are the DMVs doing? Um, we, you know, we understand that they, you know, they, they, they issue the driver's license. They, they, uh, they, they focus on the security mm-hmm. features and all that. But is there work being done after that? in order to educate the public about uh, what's what's valid and what's not valid. Right. Um, so I think it's everybody's, um, er- everybody needs to be involved in educating that. Uh, and, and of course, you do have the readers, the verification mm-hmm. readers, sure. and you know, yeah, you do have, you know, 2D barcodes or QR codes and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. So yeah. That, that perhaps helps, but um, you know, more needs to be done. Right. And, and we know though that the counterfeiters are able to replicate all that. All that stuff. Some of the counterfeits are staggeringly good. Yeah. And and that's where we need to continue to push the envelope and increase the security. Now, on that, on the education piece, I guess the other part is not only to learn what to look for, but what to do when they find it. Because I imagine there's a huge percentage where even if they find it, they just go, okay, well, not here. Right. Okay. You're not coming into the bar or I'm not comfortable. I'm not going to let you return this item, whatever it is. Uh, but then they just take it and go somewhere else with it. I think they're typically counter. I'm t- typically, uh, um, they are taking them away. Taken away. Um, so at arrested, least prosecuted, you know, to be determined. Yeah. I think, I think that really depends on what the use is. I mean, if you're just trying to get into a bar, you're probably going to lose your license. Um, if you're trying to do something more nefarious with it, then there may be... Maybe referred to, to law enforcement. Right. Education is very important. And one of the other initiatives that we have going on with DSA is something we're calling the Identity Security Campaign. Okay. And that's where we are trying to educate people on the street as to the dangers of using a fake ID. Hmm. Uh, in partnership with the CBG Airport in uh, Cincinnati, okay. uh, Cincinnati, Northern Kentucky, yeah. Uh, we launched this campaign before Christmas this last year. Uh, it, it, there are five different um, graphics that rotate on their electronic banners uh, throughout the airport. Uh, each of these graphics is intended to appeal to a different audience, uh, whether it's uh, teenage girls or teenage boys. There are different messages there. Hmm. Parents of teenage girls and teenage boys, as well as the, the, the public in general. Uh, just to let people know that using a fake ID has repercussions, negative repercussions, far beyond what people might imagine. Uh, this campaign, uh, the, the campaign graphics contain a QR code mm-hmm. so that if you're walking through the airport, you can scan it. It takes you to a mobile website where there's further information that goes beyond the, you know, the two seconds yeah. that you have to read the, on the ad. And what we found is that people who scanned that QR code actually stayed on the site long enough to read the entire site. So we were very encouraged by this um, because making just one person make a different choice is a success. It's a start. It's a start. Uh, And so we've done this in partnership with TSA. uh, And TSA is now assisting us in 
talking with other airports around the country to have mm-hmm. a similar campaign rotating in their uh, particular airport. Yeah. Uh, but it all comes down to, to education and raising the awareness that there is a problem with fake IDs, there's a problem using fake IDs, and just to create people's awareness that this is a topic that they need to be concerned about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so you said something there that I have to ask about, a different message for teenage boys versus teenage girls. Tell, tell me more about that difference. I just found that an intriguing it, tidbit you left out there. Absolutely. So um, what we under, understood from doing some market research is that uh, teenage girls are more concerned about their reputation, uh, their personal reputation, whereas teenage boys are more concerned about enforcement, law enforcement. Okay. Uh, so uh, while I, it's, it's tough to communicate a, a visual ad on a, on a webcast here or po- a podcast. <laughs> hey, look what we're looking at, folks. <laughs> um, imagine in one case you've got a teenage girl who's got her, her friends going on and, and uh, in the second half of the graphic there's somebody who is um, really focused in on undermining their reputation. Right. Whereas in the teenage boys ad uh, or graphic, they're sort getting of the, arrested. getting arrested. So to be clear, the, the, the motivation from the get a counterfeit license and the real life impact is the same. It's just what's the what's the message to reach them to understand the the risk that exactly. we found is, is different. Exactly. Okay. Why Cincinnati? Uh, it was the first airport to raise their hand saying yes, we're interested. Okay. Um, there had been a number of counterfeit seizures at Cincinnati, and mm-hmm. so they were attuned to the problem, the fact that there was a problem. Uh, and they were very willing and open uh, to work with us and were absolutely terrific. It's surprising because I would think the seizures would be at the large port-type airports where you're getting these international flights when you talk about the seizures coming in from overseas. They're, they're getting picked up in a number of different airports. Yeah. You're going to jump in? Uh, yeah, it's, it's important to note that you know DSA is a volunteer organization. Mm-hmm. So, right, we don't have people working for us. It's sure. all just volunteer. We don't, you know, funding. So we'd love to do more. Right. But, you know, we're limited to what we can do. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, this was a great campaign. And, you know, Cincinnati raised their hand, and that was that was terrific. It, it, we were actually surprised by the um, the the success of this uh, of the campaign, and and TSA picked it up, and they said, hey, this is uh, this is pretty good, and let's look elsewhere. So, you know, uh, the, the, if we can get more funds somehow, uh, yeah, yeah, we yeah. would be able to do more. Tell me more about the success, feedback, reactions. Is that what you're you're referring to when you're saying the success of the well, campaign? Well, yes. I mean, the feedback that we got from uh, from the airport and the fact that uh, you know, in, in, in meetings that we had with uh, government officials and the TSA, I think just the TSA picking it up and, and saying this is a great initiative, we'd like to help you uh, do more, that was, that was good enough for us. Because otherwise, I mean, I imagine the ultimate metric of success would be would be yeah. Well, you're if we seeing could, the yeah. number if we could see of the numbers count, go right. down, right? But that's going to be a big la- yes, lagging indicator. It's going right. to take years yeah, to years. make that go down. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Well, and and so this comes back to what you were saying earlier about you know how do we get people to pay attention mm-hmm. to um, what to look for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So I brought brought up education. It's and and that particular example we're talking about educating the the man and woman on the street. Yeah. Uh, which there's a great deal of apathy out there. People like just will accept whatever you give them. Um, and so raising that awareness. But we also have to raise this awareness at the policymaker level. Yep. Uh, we have to raise this at um, governments around the country. You know, people need to understand that this is a problem that needs to be addressed, and it doesn't have to be addressed by spending 
a great deal more money. It's just how to approach it to make your licenses more secure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, you mentioned TSA and mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't know, maybe I'll even edit this out before it goes to air. Maybe you folks will hear this. I don't know because I, I hesitate bringing it up, but I know people are listening going, wait a minute, you're partnering with TSA. And I got to know when I go to that checkpoint, I see the TSA officer looking at the license, they put it under the little light and let me on. Mm-hmm. Are these some of the people that need to be educated more than anybody else? Well, not anymore, really. I mean, what TS, you know. Now they're t- sticking into a machine more than often, right, but right. it's not and everywhere yes. yet. Yeah. Uh, no, I, uh, you, that's, that's correct. But the TSA officers are much more educated in identifying um, counterfeits or reviewing a document uh, than the lame person in a, in a Luca store, let's say. Yeah, yes. So. The stakes are higher. Yeah, much, yes. much. Absolutely. <laughs> and and, and I, I have to hand it to TSA because they're deploying all kinds of technologies yeah. uh, to increase the security uh, at checkpoints and in airports. Uh, so um, they they have a Herculean task For sure. to, to process the number of people that go through airports every day. And I hazard to guess the number of millions that it is, but it's very significant. And what they as an, as an organization have done to increase the efficiency of throughput uh, and increase the, the security within the airports is, is, is amazing. Yeah. And one of the one of the many areas we're working with them on, um, we talk about increasing security, and you mentioned it at the outset, Tony, about it's not just about physical documents. Of course, there's a big conversation in the community about the development of mobile driver's licenses and what that means for all of these topics and, and others. Um, where's the DSA on the conversation around mobile driver's licenses? Well, DSA certainly supports mobile identity. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a technology that is it's coming. Uh, and something that, that some we, would argue it's here. Some <laughs> would argue it's here. It, it's certainly here, Ian, but it's it's going to be coming in in, mm-hmm. in certainly a bigger way. Absolutely, yeah. Um, that being said, uh, physical identity is not going away. Uh, so these two forms of identity will coexist yes. for the foreseeable. Yes. Uh, and we believe that there are a number of unknowns with mobile identity that we're gonna to have to be vigilant on to make sure that stays secure mm-hmm. uh, because there are a lot of smart people out there uh, tickling the ivories, if you will. Uh, and so we need to make, make sure that we're staying ahead of any issues that could crop up with mobile mm-hmm. identity. We also believe that um, tying the physical to the mobile and vice versa may be a way to make both of them more secure. And in fact, self-authenticating okay. so for those who don't know what you mean by that do you think you can elaborate on that what that process could potentially mean certainly I, I can paint a, a broad picture yeah. uh, because there are a lot of smart technical folks out there that'll be able to connect the bits and bytes but if you could use your mobile phone to authenticate a physical license uh, and if you could use your physical license to provide a token for a mobile phone, for example, mm-hmm. uh, it just makes it that much more difficult for the counterfeiter to counterfeit either one. Either one, if they're connected. Right. And then ultimately connected to the carbon being in, in front of you. Otherwise, it's just a document connecting to something electronic. It's got to connect to the person. Correct. Yeah. 
Alex, I know this is an area you've you've spent a lot of time on. I just want yeah. to, you know. Anything I mean, there's to there's challenges, and uh, clearly, and especially on the on the verifier side uh, of of mobile driver's licenses. I mean, the standard's great, um, and uh, education's ongoing, but we don't know what's what the future is going to be and yeah. how it how it works out. I certainly believe in, in mobile uh, uh, driver's licenses and, and identity and uh, good works being done. Uh, but we need to continue doing the work. So right. uh, Because the whole purpose of it is not to just have something that's cool, though it is cool. Yeah. It's to close the loopholes that yeah. we couldn't close in the physical world. Absolutely. And I think the market's <clears throat> going to um, guide us there, right? It's going to be We'll see what the acceptance is of a mobile driver's license, if people uh, believe in them, mm -hmm. you know, what are the factors that are driving them there, whether it's uh, convenience or security or mm -hmm. whatnot. So it's yet to be seen. It's great that it's here. It's, they're going to coexist for a, a long while. So, yep. uh, and, you know, uh, finding ways, perhaps that's how it's going to happen. Once, you know, we have, let's say, a 50-50 usage, you know, finding a way where we can use both to, um, you know, uh, make each more secure. Yeah. Well, anything else on DSA or particularly the white paper that you are maybe hoping to, to chat about? You know who the Anva community is. That's who's listening. Uh, this is a chance to make sure they know about this white paper and what's out there as a resource for, for them. Anything else you want to add? Well, I, I think it's important, Ian, to, to emphasize the, um, the scope of the problem yeah. uh, from a revenue perspective. Um, we identified uh, a number of different categories where counterfeit licenses are used to contribute to costs that we all bear. So whether it's underage drinking, counterterrorism, identity fraud, check and bank fraud, or returns good fraud, if you lump all those together, you're talking about $250 billion a year that's spent to address that. Uh, that $250 billion equates to about $1,000 for every taxpayer in this country. Uh, I'm not suggesting that counterfeiting is the sole reason that we're, we're incurring those costs, but it is a contributing factor and an important contributing factor that even if we were to say 10% of that could be directly attributed to counterfeit licenses, we're still talking $100 for every taxpayer mm -hmm. in this country. Mm -hmm. That's a big number. Uh, and for some, certainly for some families in this country, a very big number. Uh, and something that we as a community need to take very seriously. Uh, and we need to take a step back and look at this and say, wait a minute, there is something different we can do. Uh, and let's do what we can as a community to come together to really try to close the gap as much as possible and stay vigilant. Yeah, excellent. If folks want to get a copy of the white paper, how can they do that? Very easy. Uh, documents, documentsecurityalliance.org uh, is our website, and it is on the homepage, and you can download it. Awesome. Well, gentlemen, thanks for coming in and chanting with me about this. I do want oh, to say one more thing Ian, in, before I go. In. I would be remiss yeah. if I don't uh, tell your listeners yeah. how to join DSA, right? Because oh, okay. I, I am responsible for membership. membership. Yes, right? that's so, what we talked you know, about. Hey, Please, uh, yes. But, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it, it's a unique uh, organization with academia, vendors, government, members of, uh, of the AMVA community. And if anybody is interested in... Uh, uh, learning more about security and how to secure your document. Mm -hmm. It's a great organization to participate. There's no cost 
to the AMBA members, right? So they can easily just join. And now with the pandemic, it's been easier to, typically in the past, we used to have three in-person meetings a year where we would meet, everybody would join, we would have uh, speakers, guest speakers, talk about different topics. Now we have, um, we've had online uh, meetings, right? And uh, typically they happen every month for an hour or two. Uh, depending on the topic, you'll get an email. If you're interested, you join, and 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 that's great. So it's it's even easier to uh, to join DSA nowadays than it used to be, right? You don't have to come visit uh, Washington D.C. Right. to uh, listen in. And we've had a lot of interest in people joining from overseas. Oh, okay. So we've had members from from Europe. So uh, I urge your listeners to uh, to take advantage of that and join DSA. Awesome. And, and I, I I would be remiss in not saying that you know now that we're hopefully on the on the back end of the pandemic that we will be getting back together again because nothing can supplant yes. the face-to-face -face. And, and certainly the events that AMVA has held over the past couple of months have been evident or yeah. sort of have supported that yeah. you know if, if anybody went to the AMVA law enforcement seminar in Orlando it was absolutely terrific to get back together and I think though to, to both your points so I think we're finding this <clears throat> whatever this next phase is it's going to be uh, not unlike the mobile driver's license being in addition to the physical, our being back in person is going to be in addition to the continuation of these virtual connection points, not in lieu of. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So we're, we're reinventing ourselves. Yeah, as we all are. <laughs> yes, it is that time. Absolutely. All right. Well, gentlemen, thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you all for listening this week. Thanks to our producers, Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin. Until next week, everyone, stay well. Thank you for joining us for AmbaCast, hosted by Ian Grossman, produced by Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin, music by Gibson Arthur. This episode was brought to you by Get Mobile ID by Get Group North America. Visit us at amvacast.podbean.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify.